This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. And we are back. Uh, part three. Yeah. Part three of the Anhill Kids. This is the shocking conclusion to this smelly story of gross pedophile. Well, one in particular, a big bearded, big dick, smelly pedophile cult leader that loved shitting and eating porridge. He did? He liked porridge? I guess. I mean, he was a, he was a, dedicated vegetarian for a long time until he decided that he was above that and all of his followers weren't. So like a lot of bean curd casserole and just really horrible things, honestly, when you already are prone to having diarrhea because of your dumping syndrome, pumping your body full of bean curd casserole and tofu. Just, I think it actually, eventually you come all the way around and you just start shitting solid again. It, it cycles like uh, like some kind of evolutionary universal truth. Yes. It goes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's gross. Well, when we left off, I don't know if you remember, when we left off on part two, it was early January of 1982, and Rock Terrio, the leader of the Anhill Kids, just went to prison for the murder of two-year-old Samuel Gagir. And Samuel didn't even deserve it. The murder was completely unprovoked. Agreed. Agreed. He'd done very little with his life so far. And two-year-old Samuel wasn't coming at him with a knife. Um, he wasn't messing with one of his wives. None of that stuff. Completely unprovoked murder. Sad. Anyways, all the children of this commune had all been hauled off to foster homes, and the remaining members of the cult were now living on the commune without a leader, uh, without guidance, just out there picking berries and looking at bears um, without anyone to tell them what to do otherwise. I wonder, I wonder how that felt at that time. Like, I wonder if it was sort of a, uh, a peaceful, good thing. I wonder if this, the, the number of olfactory, like full, full court press olfactory attacks on your s- nasal senses went down. No, you know, no. no, I think they were probably in a panic. Oh, leaderless, rudderless. It's like if you take a child, right? Even children, when they go to foster homes, even if their parents, are like garbage, abusive pieces of shit. I think they still want to get back to their parents a lot of the time. Yeah, 100%. You're right. It's, uh, it's, we're wired very weird, oddly that way. Our love runs deep. So, uh, on Rock's in prison, yeah, he, he's sitting out his sentence. And on January 21st, 1982, the remaining members of Eternal Mountain, the Anhill Kids, if you remember, we call it Eternal Mountain sometimes because it was at the bottom of an unnamed mountain that Rock Terrio just decided was called Eternal Mountain. So the remaining members of the Anhill Kids, they get an eviction notice from the county and Judge Jean Rockroy. So they're told, get the fuck off that land. I would have thought he would have been a little more amenable to their case since he had the same he had a same middle name as rock terrio uh, well i think that's half the names in this region rock is rock yeah it's like try going to my hometown and not finding somebody with billy in their name somewhere <laughs> even the girls more maybe more yeah. girls than boys in february of 1983 i'm sorry february of 1982 
So a month later, they are physically evicted by force rangers. So they show up and make them leave. And then after they're forced out, the police come in with bulldozers and everything and burn down everything that had been built on Eternal Mountain. And anything that was left standing after the fires was then bulldozed into oblivion. So they just level the place. Yeah, that's one way to get rid of history. And that's the end. And thank you for joining <laughs> Anthill Kids Part 3. Rock, Rock Terrio died in prison. He was raped to death in the shower and uh, with a broom handle, uh, with a sharpened broom handle. And um, everybody that was left, they went on to live long, happy lives. They got counseling. Uh, the kids were the return to them. They all were ended up being great parents after they realized the hold that Rock Terrio had on them. And they got, and many of them got jobs on Wall Street and went on on the circuit to preach about how cults are bad. And everybody's still alive. The end. That's really. I'm glad to hear it worked out like that. Well, I guess I'll call you tomorrow. Okay. Uh, nope, I don't say hugs, everybody here. What do we? This is where. You? So start fading the music in. All right, one second. So that's obviously not the end. But the cult members, they're wanting daddy back. At least they want to be close to him. So wanting to stay near to rock, the remaining cult members, they they got four apartments in Quebec City near the Orsainville Detention Center where rock was being held. And also, on top of that, somehow... They all got their children back. Really? All the children are returned. Now, I'm guessing the the, the uh, stipulations behind them getting their children back was that they had to leave Eternal Mountain. And I guess the loophole was it was leveled. So they technically did leave the, quote, cult. If the cult was just a location, but a cult can move. Right? So Damn. it's not just, but, so, but they all got their children back. And there in those four uh, shitty little apartments, the members started collecting welfare checks and it turns out also that Rock was contacting them daily, and most of their welfare checks went to collect calls so Rock could still control everything from prison. Where they And they spent about $500 a month on collect calls. Whoa. This is $500 a month, by the way, in the early 80s. That's, yeah, that's, that is more than normal. You'd, that's more than you'd pay probably a month for the, the original cell phones of the 80s. You're talking about those ones that you have to carry around in a wagon yeah you look like a vietnam guy with the phone on your back and the antenna yeah it's got a <laughs> backpack yeah <laughs> you have to take rest breaks every 20 feet uh, also while rock's in prison up he gets three of the women pregnant during conjugal visits oh man i forgot about those yeah and those are fuck visits oh and they don't even have to like put their dick like, I don't know that I would have as much an issue with it if it was just like a glory hole type setup in, in conjugal visits where they just put their dick in a hole and then whatever happened or didn't happen happened. But I don't know. I don't think that when you're in prison for violent crimes, particularly the murder of a two-year-old, you should be allowed skin-on-skin -skin contact with anybody that doesn't have a lot of tattoos that were done in a cell, a beard, and also runs the commissary from his cell. I think that's the only skin-to-skin -skin contact that you should be allowed to have is with another man that is larger than you, and I don't think it should be consensual. Isn't it, isn't it weird? Like, think about, like, the things that go into... A butt? Checking the boxes. Oh. What? <laughs> the things that go into checking or unchecking the boxes for what, we're, what, uh, what we allow prisoners to do based on 
their crimes and stuff. Those those decisions were all made like in an office somewhere. Yeah, you know, somebody sat around and they're like, okay, what about what about people though that like raped a kid? Okay, yeah, but those I think they shouldn't get. Okay, let me think about this. <laughs> it's so weird to think somebody sat around and thought about what those people can and can't do. It's weird uh, to think that people are in prison right now for marijuana. <laughs> I think that if you get pulled over and you've got a bag of weed on you, this would be your punishment. The, the cop goes, hold up, right on your wind, hold out your wrist. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. There should be a pot tax where if you get caught with it, you have to give the officer a joint. They just, they just white fang you. Get, get on, get, get on out, out of here. here. Yeah, get out of here. Get out of this subway parking lot. <laughs> Rock also, while he's in prison, so through all these collect calls, on these calls, he begins promising his followers up that when he gets out, there's not going to be any more violence. There's not going to be any more violence. No more drinking. He's going to stop drinking. He's going to start, stop, he's going to stop drinking. He's going to stop beating them. He took a page right out of the Alabama stepdad book. I'm gonna stop Everything's drinking. It's gonna be different, Charlotte. It is. It's gonna be different. We're gonna get that engine block off the front porch. We're gonna sell the iguana, and I'm gonna stop knocking your fucking teeth out. I promise. Well, I feel like there's so many iguanas in trailer parks. <laughs> Why is that a white trash thing? Because they're so they're so cool. They're so white snake. They're so rock and roll. They're so Marlboro. Yeah, but you know that conversation that they had about him changing evolved or devolved before they even hit the parking lot because it's it shifted to him going. No, no. I mean, I guess, but if I think about it, like sometimes you make me do the. Uh, I mean, let's work together. All right. Yeah, you like, gotta you, stop. You stop. You gotta stop letting me hit you. You got to stop making me want to hit you and I'll stop hitting you and we'll be fine. By the time they get home, he's already hit her three times. Yeah. In the car. Chris Browner. In the car. Three times. Yeah. <laughs> In February of 1984, after two years, Rock Terrio is released from prison up and rejoins his 21 followers, which now consist of two men, nine women and 10 children. 21 followers. That's how many we have at 1159. Yeah. Seven of them are on Patreon. <laughs> and dwindling. Oh, I just checked six. Maybe it was something we did. Now, the followers, while Rock was in prison, they had gotten used uh, to having electricity and things like running water and a microwave and television and a place to shit without having to wipe their ass with poison ivy and bird feathers. And they were kind of hoping that they could stay in the city after he got out. You know, this this is kind of nice. It's kind of nice. We got AC. It was the 80s, so it was a big window unit that sounded like a 454 when it was fucking running. But <laughs> but Rock, he had other plans right after he got out. So he got released February of 1984. May 2nd, 1984, he packs up his followers and they leave the Gatsby region of Quebec and travel west to the Ontario province. And there up, they find a 200-acre plot of land near Somerville, called Burnt River. Uh, the little piece is called Burnt River there, and it was in the Kawartha region of Ontar- Ontario. Yep. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Keep that rolling. was just a lot of geography, and I was like, I, I don't really know. 
I don't know what to say about it. I, I don't know why, but it's one of the things in doing the research that I really love is finding specific pinpoint locations. Unfortunately for this, because most of it takes place in the wilderness, I can't be like, and where they had the commune, it is now a Kmart. Yeah, I was going to say, ever since you've been doing the show, I've it's been fun to watch you. Like, I know you probably spend an inordinate amount of time on Google Street View. I like do. just driving around. <laughs> and, and, and throughout this entire case, that was never really an option because there are no streets for miles yeah. where most of the story takes place. If it were just about uh, the geographic location and everything, it'd just be a story about camping. But it's, yes. but it's more than that. So they put $2,000 down on a $12,000 lot. Keep in mind, I said this is a 200 acre plot of land. That's twelve thousand dollars. Wow. Twelve grand for two hundred acres. Twelve grand in twenty twenty two will get you a nineteen ninety three Honda Civic that's been converted to a one bedroom apartment in the west side <laughs> of Detroit, at the most. And more uppity Caucasian cities, they'll let you smell the inside of a porta shitter for twelve thousand dollars. <laughs> Anyways, at this 200-acre plot of land, they begin clearing a spot there in the forest and building a new settlement. And over the next five months, the cult built – this is pretty impressive in five months, considering there's only 21 of them consider, and 10 of them are children. They built a two-story A-frame cabin with a kitchen, a personal sleeping quarters for rock in the basement, a bakery, a maple sugar shack, so a place to make maple syrup. This isn't a joke. That part isn't a joke. Yeah. Jokes still at the end of the sentence. That's that's the way I, f- I, I, I do jokes. That's so good. very Canadian maple sugar shack, a smokehouse, a root cellar and a stone altar where he could communicate with God. Most impressively, though, was the fact that they also built a Quiznos. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have one. I've You got to have one. They didn't build a Quiznos, but but there was a maple sugar shack. That is true. So they can make their own maple syrup. It's like they're all just Canadian stereotypes, everybody in this story. As extreme as they want to be, they still can't avoid being very, very consistent. Now, once again, while all this is being built, Rock sits on the sidelines while the work is being done. Because if his poor Rachel belly aches, that's, <laughs> that's, that's Rock Terrio always having to just bossing people around from the sidelines. <laughs> Pooping. They all applied for welfare again, but were denied. And because of their welfare denial, they then resort to shoplifting and accepting handouts from neighbors uh, because their farming farming abilities were were honestly absolute shit. On top of that, the soil beneath their commune was only good for growing violent pedophile cults. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to farm. <laughs> Takes a lot of work, a lot of groundwork. Different kind of soil. It's a different kind of soil. Altogether. I would argue harder than like corn, wheat, um, carrots, tomatoes, potatoes. A lot more goes into it. It's it's unique. Okra. (laughs) I might take issue with okra. I think that's a pretty complex growth process. If I don't, I'm so sorry. If I, if I don't seem on it, uh, it's because everything you say is rattling around in my head like a drum because I don't feel good. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're sick today. I don't feel very good. I woke up freezing and sweating. Yeah. Uh, so the freezing is different. 
Yeah, because I... You're all... Aw, <laughs> oh, snap. I see where you went with that. Always sweaty. Just You always look like that death photo of Chris Farley. <laughs> Funny, because I feel like it. Ugh. You always look like you just ate like six pounds of brisket on a summer day. <laughs> you always look like you're at like a 4th of July picnic. <laughs> no matter the time of year. You need to get your blood pressure checked. I should. Um. So they start stealing. They steal meat, milk, vegetables, toilet paper, poutine, hockey pucks, maple syrup, ice skates. Tim Horton's coffee, beanies, um, just about everything else. Now they did. All of that is so Canadian. (laughs) Everything they stole was so Canadian. That's amazing. (laughs) So uh, I didn't find uh, poutine, hockey pucks, maple syrup, ice skates, Tim Horton's coffee, or beanies in my research. I was making assumptions (laughs) on that part, but they did definitely steal meat, milk, vegetables, and toilet paper. They even had, and this is true. Special large thief pockets added to the inside of their cult tunics so they could steal shit more easily. Whoa. You know how a crack dealer will like traditionally open up their robe and there's like heroin on one side and weed. It's clear that I don't buy drugs a lot. I don't think this actually (laughs) happens. But on the inside of their tunics there, they had big old pockets uh, sewn in so they could steal things. They also started selling homemade bread and pastries door to door, unsolicited. Nobody wanted this shit. And <laughs> as well as at local farmers markets and called this company that he had just formed the Anthill Kids. Will, will you ever go into why it's called the Anthill Kids? I already did. We talked about that on the last episode. I believe it was Rock was laying on his lazy fat ass in the shade watching these people work at the oh, last commune. And he right. was like, oh, look, they look like ants. On an anthill, anthill That's right. kids. Yeah. I wasn't really paying attention last um, six or seven episodes. So. I would say that that started around episode one <laughs> when we did episode one. John Bobbitt. <laughs> I was going to oh. say John Benet Ramsey, but I don't think we ever covered that. No. We never covered that little rascal. <laughs> You can't call John Bonet Ramsey a little rascal. You can. I mean, you can. You can try to. But she was a little rascal. I mean, not towards the end. But oh gosh, (laughs) what? No, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Worst at hide and seek. Rock also made his followers in an attempt to get some more money. The pastry, door-to-door pastry business wasn't hardcore making a lot of green. Um, People weren't super open to the idea of opening their door to a bunch of weirdos that smell bad, standing there in tunics wanting to sell them croissants. So in an effort to get a little bit more money, Rock also made his followers contact their parents and ask for money. And if the parents refused to give any, Rock then heavily pounded the idea into the followers' mind that it was further proof that their parents were evil. Yeah. Do you hate this guy yet? I really do. I, I really, I really. It's going to get so much fucking worse. 
Ah, so much worse. Wait, just just remind me really quick. How long was he in prison for killing the kid? Two years. How? For murdering a two-year-old. Oh, my gosh. That doesn't even make any sense. Now, after they made the move to Ontario, to the surprise of everyone, Rock's more violent tendencies began to get worse, and he started drinking again. Even though he said he wouldn't hit him anymore, and he wouldn't drink anymore, he started hitting him more again and drinking again. (sighs) He lied. I kind of feel like we we even mentioned that earlier. We saw that. We knew that that was going to happen. Well, it caught me out of the blue. Yeah. He also instituted a new rule after their new commune was built. The followers weren't allowed to speak to one another without his permission, and they were also not allowed to have sex with anybody else without his permission. Huh. Really? No. Really. And they were happy to have him back. They were. They were stoked. Super stoked. Ah, weird. He also introduced gladiator tournaments up where he would make the female members strip completely naked, get in a dirt ring, and fight each other for his own entertainment. Sometimes Rock himself would get involved with these where he would fight the men, but if the if he lost, the men were then to be punished. <laughs> wow. It's amazing the control this guy has. Like I you know, I already said in one episode, despite the fact that he has a massive cock, he just drips little dick energy. Yeah. I at some point, and I'm guessing it's far past already, he, he just stopped having to give excuses or reason as to why he was making the rules he was making. At this point he can probably Nobody questions anything he does anymore. Yeah, he could just say nobody, nobody gets to talk to each other anymore. He doesn't have to give a reason anymore. He just says it and then you know, in my reading, that at a certain point, these people and the children, they eventually become, it's like they're on cruise control. Yeah. They're not even almost conscious. They're robots. Yeah. Which is very sad. He would also, he was notorious for shooting at them or around them for fun. Oh, yeah. And yes. it got to a point with that where they wouldn't even react when he shot at them. <laughs> They wouldn't even react to this. And uh, it's not like he never hit anybody. He shot him in the shoulders on multiple occasions. Oh, my gosh. What? (sighs) He also starts forcing the women to take part in orgies with him. Now, before it was onesies and twosies, right? They'd be working. They'd be drilling. They'd be sawing a log. And then he would just grab them by the arm and take them and make them have sex with him. But now he's like, no, I want all of them at one time. So he starts forcing the women to take part in orgies with him. And he would do these orgies with them while Beethoven played from an old tape deck. Of course. Of course. And I can't think, I love the Moonlight Sonata, but just to be a fly on the wall, you know, just sitting next to the 5 million other flies that are on that wall (laughs) who were drawn to this cramped, hot, potent little cabin where a bunch of hairy, smelly hippies who have never showered are fucking and sucking and jerking. And Ugh. It's also important to note up that in Rock Terrio's little fuck chamber bedroom in the basement here, this is true, he had his toilet placed right next to his bed and was notorious for dropping big old deuces right in front of people. So he would probably stop mid-orgy and drop an old Quebec steamer while watching the other girl scissor. Oh, to be a fly on the wall next to the millions of other flies there. 
Have you ever wondered how this show hasn't been canceled? I wonder why people fucking listen to it. <laughs> he also stopped beating members with a belt. Oh, good. So that's that's good. But he traded out the belt for a fucking hammer. Ah, darn it. <laughs> not the hammer that was in his pants either. Not that flesh <laughs> hammer. This one was made of steel. Wow. He also got super paranoid and began suspecting that people wanted to leave and desert him. So when he began suspecting somebody wanted to leave, even though nobody ever did because they're not even people anymore, uh, really, they're uh, uh, they're like robots, he would hang them from the ceiling and pluck their hairs from their body one by one. How? After he got their hair, after he felt he had pulled sufficient hairs out, these are hippies, so there's a lot of hair, very yeah. long hair, long, curly hair. He would then have them brought down. Oh, look, the social media. The 1159 social media team is trying to con- call right now. <laughs> is yours ringing too? Nope. They're just reaching out to you. I'll have to answer that, I don't know, in two hours or so. <laughs> so after he felt that they had plucked enough hairs down, he would then have them brought down from the rafters where he would, and I want you to try to finish the sentence, where he would... Rub lotion and liniment on the affected areas. Kind of. In a way, he would take a shit on them. Oh. (laughs) It's like hippie lotion. Gross. Yeah. He would shit on them. Towards the end, he gets an obsession with feces, it seems, and, and urine. Yeah. So he's shitting on them. Other times he would just make them strip down if they, if they pissed him off. He would make them strip down, get on their knees, open their mouths, and then he would piss on their tonsils. Wow. Kind of like an adult version of when you put a fruit loop in the potty when you're trying to teach a little boy to use the potty. You know, you put a fruit loop. I guess he would just aim for their tonsils. Oh. He was also notorious op. Getting ready to get real gritty here, both metaphorically and and, and in reality. I'm st- I'm struggling to have new emotions um, of shock. Like, much like a cult member in this. Yeah, like. I just want to kind of sit here in silence while you... Let me try to get an emotion out of you, because he was also notorious for making members that pissed him off lick the asshole of another member that had just taken a shit and then pick up the shit that they had just shit and rub that shit all over their own faces. And they just stayed around. They just stayed. They just hung around. And not only did they hang around, but after many of these punishments, they would thank Rock for letting them get closer to God. Yeah. They, they would thank him. They were grateful. And they were also sorry that they had made him do this. He didn't want to do this. No. This is God's will. Darn them. He hated this. He hated that they made him do this. He's a real victim in this story. Yeah. He didn't want to do any of it. Imagine not wanting to do this to people, oh. but then God making you do it. So. Very sad. Very sad. Yep. All right. Um, so... <laughs> I don't know what else to say. This guy's terrible. Like, I ran out of shock and awe, like, I don't know, two episodes ago already. How about this? Another one of his favorite punishments for the women, particularly, was to take a rusty old pair of pliers and squeeze their nipples until they busted open from pressure like blackheads and started bleeding everywhere. <sighs> okay. All right. So we'd pop their nipples with a pair of pliers. He also started making members prove their loyalty to him via various methods that included, but were not limited to, breaking their own legs with a sledgehammer. 
How do you do that? How do you? He would make them sit down with their legs on top of a cement block, take a sledgehammer, and swing it down on their shins as hard as they possibly could. That, I don't, that doesn't make any... That's terrible. I... Mm. He would make them take their pants off and sit on lit stoves. He would make them shoot each other in parts of the body that wouldn't be fatal, so meat shots. He would make them cut off each other's toes. He would make them rub shit on each other. I probably would have put that one at the first because it seems like it's anticlimactic. I hate poop. Yeah. I'd rather break my own legs with a sledgehammer Okay, I can than see rub somebody else's poo on me. And by the way, all of these, um, all of these tactics were not limited to just the adults. The children were also forced to do all of this on multiple occasions. Jeez. <sighs> now, this guy was born to be a politician. <laughs> and if you're laughing at this because you think I'm talking about the other guys, I'm not. <laughs> I'm talking about your guy. Yep. And if you're like, well, how does he know? I don't. That's the point. <laughs> if you're like, how does he know what my politics are? I don't have to. They're uh, bipartisan in there, by pedophilia. In, uh, no matter what color your tie is. The abuse towards the children op for minor infractions also got very worse. So between the molestations, well, the molestations have been going on the whole time. But if they made Rock mad, he would nail the children to trees through their clothing. So pin them to trees like, you know how... Bug collectors yeah, put bugs on the... So he would do that with the children to a tree and then have the other children get rocks and make them throw rocks at them. Jeez. He also began making the children so he would force adults to have sex in the fuck dungeon and he would make the children watch. He would also, on numerous occasions, make the children do sexual activities to each other while he watched as well as make the children masturbate him. Jeez. And I mean, knowing what we know, that probably took three or four kids. Oh, gosh. I can't do this <laughs> anymore. We covered Carl Tanzler, and this is where you check out. Yeah. <laughs> this is. We covered not. Ed Kemper. He, he fucked his mom's headless corpse. Ed Kemper did. Yeah, but when you start, when you add kids to the whole thing, it just, it's a whole different whole different bucket of syrup. That's what Jeffrey Weinstein said. <laughs> You're spicy today. January 26, 1985. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what? No, I just, I, I I know you're probably like, obviously you're a fan of January. I I am. I'm a good fan of January. But January 26, 85, obviously, you know. I don't even have to say it. Is it about I, a wheat penny? No, the 85 penny wasn't a wheat penny. It was the... It was the wheat penny stopped in 1959. Right. So this was yeah. the new Lincoln penny. I know. I knew that. Yeah. The new version of Lincoln penny. And um, this one was the, obviously the two Planchet bonded die cap. You know, all you have to do is walk down the road and say NGC MS 64. And people are like, oh, you're talking about the RB mint error. Oh, yeah. We must live in very different Lincoln populations City. of people. Went for $3,950. So check your pennies. Nice. <laughs> well, can you leave? RB Mintera. Yo. NGC yeah. up in the house. NGC. Yeah. On the die cap. Die cap. No cap. No bonded. cap. It was, it was bonded. 
DICAP was bonded. The two planchet. You can't, you can't have a double, you can't have a bonded DICAP without the two planchet. Right. Mint error. Mint. Error. NPC. Yeah. You know. No cap. Check your pennies. Or don't. It doesn't matter. How much you say it's worth? $3,950. Oh, wow. What are the chances that somebody would have one of those in their pocket statistically? Oh, oh gosh. If you're really on the look, I'd say better chances than picking up a lady at the bar. If you if you really start looking at what you got in your pockets, you'd be surprised. Yeah, January 26, 1985. Can we move on, please? Yeah. Uh, yeah. January 26, 1985. Gabriel Lavallee's five-month-old baby son, Alizer, was his name, Alizer, died from hypothermia after Rock forced her to leave it outside in the snow in a wheelbarrow in 22-degree weather, all because the baby was crying. Now, if we remember anything from part two, this is exactly what happened to two-year-old Samuel Gagir. He died. You'd think right? he would know better. You would think he would know better. And it's even colder this night than it was the night Samuel died. So they they leave this baby in this wheelbarrow outside in the snow in 22-degree weather. The baby dies. Have you ever heard of a a case where I've always wondered, this would be interesting. I wonder if there's ever been a cult where some lumberjack or some manly man was walking by and saw the cult and watched the cult leader like abuse people. And then he's like, I'll be right back. (laughs) Goes and gets a couple friends. Comes back and just, I wonder if that's ever happened. Just beats the daylights out of some cult leader and like frees a commune. Like, you're free. I think you're, I think you're trying to come up with like the Disney version yeah. of, of how these cults usually end. And that's not realistic. Um, how these things usually end is everybody's in a pair of Nikes dead on a bunch of bunk beds. Yeah. Either that or everybody's laying in the mud. Dead from Kool Aid, yeah. Either that, or everybody um, is dead. Is dead, and the cult leader technically won because he never also had to serve uh, any time for his crimes. That's usually it's like in Disney, the bully always loses, but in reality, the bully usually wins and then grows up to be a senator. Yeah, it's true. Do you know who my father is? And- yes. That's reality. And that's not what happened here. No, the lumberjacks never showed up and saw Rock putting a, a baby in a wheelbarrow in 22-degree weather and said, what are you doing with that baby? That's not how you raise a baby. I wonder if today is an opportunity. I wonder if today is one of those teaching moments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one more time on this. What, when, in what you just said, what did they put the baby in? A wheelbarrow. Nope. I did the research. It's a wheelbarrow. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. A wheelbarrow. Barrow. Yep, Yep. wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow. I'm saying it that way. I'm saying it B-A-R-R-O-W. Wheelbarrow. It sounds like you're saying barrel. I'm not, though. I'm saying barrel. What's fun is is on the script here, I, as you read, I, I go through and I fix the spelling errors and stuff. And I just, if I click undo on this, undo. Oh, look, it said Yeah, wheel. it goes back to A-R-R-O-W. 
It doesn't. It doesn't. It went to barrel. Yeah, wheel barrel, like I said. Yeah. All right. Yep. On the same page. Knowing that there would be an investigation. Now, it's important to keep in mind, social services, social services is still checking in on them pretty regularly. They haven't just given up. They, they've oh, good. kept a tab. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've kept a tab on them on, on how many kids are here, what they're, and they're still checking in pretty regularly. So knowing that, uh, a five month old is now missing, um, they do contact the police and say, Hey, this baby died. But first they bring, uh, little five month old Gabriel, uh, little five month old Eliezer, uh, back into the cabin and they thaw him out. And then they call the doctors. Um, they do an autopsy on the baby and concluded because as far as they could tell, this is just a baby that suddenly died. They concluded that it was a case of infant death syndrome or SIDS, uh, which is common actually in, in Canadian babies that haven't been given enough maple syrup. Uh, studies concluded that Canadian babies require at least a quart of maple syrup a day and that wow. they don't receive it. If they don't receive it, there's a higher chance of SIDS up to a 60 cents, 60% more likely chance of SIDS. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Also, also, I think SIDS can be brought on by um, extended exposure to 22 degree weather. Actually, Canadian mothers, they did research, they lactate syrup, maple syrup. Yeah, that was the part I was just thinking about when you were talking about the social services made sure they were still coming by. Like, how does, how does that go? It's like, hey, hey, Rock, um, why are those three ladies? Why, why are their shirts bleeding? Why are there? Oh, they're just lactating. But it's blood rocket. Why are there, why are their feet? Why are their shoes full of blood? Why does it smell like poop everywhere? Just everything's covered in shit. Yeah. And how, urine. how could you possibly not? I think you're putting a little bit too much trust in social services in this region because they have already let these children go back to the people that would let themselves be under the control of a man that murdered a two-year-old already. Good point. Good point. Good point. You also have to keep in mind that a lot of people that came across Rock Terrio loved him. Loved him. He was very charismatic. He, He could make people feel like they were just the most important person in the world and was very convincing. So a lot of times people didn't want to step on his toes, even even like um, <clears throat> authority figures. The further this went, it was har- harder and harder to step on their toes. Because they, <laughs> they're gone. Because they weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. And even then you didn't want to because they had poo on them. Poo. Nubs with poo. They were always like, we, you know, we had to really go around all the dog shit in the front yard to get into your cabin here rock and he was like we don't have a dog (laughs) early december 1985 one of the children has finally had enough of the abuse and the molestations and the jerking off and he runs away after getting a severe beating and is soon picked up by cps when he gets when cps starts interviewing he tells them and the police that moses if you remember that's what rock started making this cult call him moses had been beating and sexually assaulting him for years. And on December 6, 1985, 10 social workers and six police officers raid the commune and all the children, now 14 in total, are seized by the Ontario Children's Aid Society and once again placed in foster homes. Rock, though, nor anybody else on the commune is arrested due to lack of evidence. There's toes everywhere. 
There's toes everywhere. One of the kids is just fucking missing. Not even there. Some kids are masturbating. They've all got rock wounds, but like R-O-C-K. Right. Not yeah. R-O-C-H. They've got but they also have R-O-C-H wounds. Yeah. I was gonna say. Now, having the children taken uh, this time around, it really sends Rock over the edge. And his violence, unfortunately, for the members gets worse as well as his alcoholism. And that's a shame when the government pushes a rational human being over the edge like this. Who's really the monster here? The government. Yeah. This man's just out here trying to raise a couple of families. And they they take his kids from him. Pushes him over the edge, y'all. And like, you know, many of us do when we get stressed out and sad. What, how Rock coped with the loss of all these children. He gets back into amateur surgery as a hobby. And when he gets drunk, he starts to play doctor. Oh, that's not good. I mean, I've seen it a million times. If you've seen it once, you've seen it a million times. Some people, they get drunk and they get into, you know, I don't know, fixing cars or gambling or horse racing or working on weed eaters. But nope. Rock Terry was like, I just got to get up in somebody's intestines with my hands and get this out of my system. I got to get out of my system and into somebody else's. (laughs) (laughs) One day, Rock gets shit-faced on a 26-ounce bottle of cognac. Cognac? Cognac? Cognac. 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 And then he gets pissed at Claude Ulay for no reason whatsoever. The members were asked later what caused this, what sparked this. None of them knew. They said he just got drunk and decided he was pissed at Claude Ulay. And as punishment, he made Claude wrap an elastic band around his testicles, testicles and told Claude that he would wear that band for as long as he decided. It was up to him. You're going to wear it till I get tired. That's how long you're going to wear it. By the next morning... Claude's balls had swollen to the size of an orange and turned purple. Oh, that's a weird mental picture because I feel like you just said two colors and my brain kind of processed it weird. They had grown to the size of an of a large apple okay. and turned purple. Ah, okay, I mean. The rubber band was then removed, but a month later... One of the balls got infected from the permanent damage that had been caused by the rubber bands, and he lost all feeling in it. So Claude Ulay is walking around with a dead nut, and Rock sees this as an opportunity and decides it's time to do another surgery. Of course. But when Claude gets word, when the word gets back to Claude that Rock is planning on cutting one of his balls off, he goes and, and he runs and hides in an outhouse. And then the next couple of hours are spent, Rock just drunkenly stumbling around the property, yelling for Claude and looking for him under, I don't know, welcome mats and piles of shit. He does eventually discover Claude, though, trying to be really, really quiet in the shitter. And I'm sure there was a couple moments where Rock's knocking on the door and Claude's like, oh, oh no, it's just a woman in here. Just freshening up. Never heard of a Claude. <laughs> No, I don't need my testicles cut off. Thank you. I have a vagina. (laughs) He made members hold Claude down while he took a razor, cut his ball sack open, pulled the dead infected nut out with his fingers, and then hacked the strings off that were holding it into his into his scrotum. Oh, he then cauterized that wound with a burning hot iron. But it wasn't over yet up. 
because that night Rog decided that Claude hadn't been punished enough for pissing off, pissing him off in the first place. Keep in mind, nobody even knew what Claude had done. Yeah. Including Claude himself. He decided, and this is weird, and this happens on multiple occasions, but Rog decided that as punishment, what he needed to do was cut open Claude's stomach and take a look inside. Maybe the answer was in there. Whatever wow. was pissing Rock off had to be somewhere in his intestines. Oh. When Claude caught Rogue, so it kind of seems like there was a runner where he was like, oh, Claude, you got to fucking bounce, dude. He's getting ready to cut your, cut your stomach open. And he thinks that whatever is making him mad might be in your guts. So Claude runs off into the night, into the woods, covered in nut blood with an open wound in his ball sack. He hadn't been stitched up and hides in the woods for days, living off berries and vegetation with his beanbag hanging open. And he just waits for Rock to sober up before returning back to the commune. Because that was going to fix it. If Rock was sober, he wouldn't be doing this. Right. Uh-huh. In 1987, one night, Rock gets mad because he's a petulant, overgrown child in a man's body. He he just decides he would he did he does this a lot. He just decides he's mad at somebody when he gets drunk. And I think a lot of it is to have an excuse to start doing these little amateur operations. Yeah. But he gets mad at Giselle this time and throws a hunting knife at her, pitches it across the room, and the knife just sticks into her thigh leaving a three-inch wound. Now, despite how bad it was bleeding, she starts screaming. He tells her to shut up and go to bed, go to sleep. And my wife gets mad at me if I don't take out the trash in time within two minutes after her asking me. Yeah, this is on another level. Have you ever accidentally hurt your wife? Uh, No. Well, one time we were making the bed and she had too tight of a grip on the comforter on the other side and I like went to pull the whole thing off and it... (laughs) This is already funny. Chucked her across the room. (laughs) But she was on the other side of the bed and we were just making the bed. And so I just like pulled it really fast and she had a good grip on it. And he's kind of, whoa, 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 whoa. One time I, uh, she, my wife was standing at the, beside the bed doing my daughter's hair, curling my daughter's hair. And I like did, took a running jump. I was trying to be funny. I took a running jump and jumped on the bed with like my hands under my chin like the way you would pose for a photo in the 80s. Yeah. And whenever I landed on the bed, it scooted the bed, and it just took out her fucking shins. <laughs> just, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. She didn't talk to me for like three hours. <laughs> so I don't know how she would react if I threw a, a hunting knife across the room and stuck it in her thigh and then told her to shut the fuck up and go to sleep. Two hours later... Giselle wakes up and her leg is swelling and the blood is still pouring. And that's when Rock, once again up, decides he's got to operate. He makes her lie down on the kitchen table where he reopens the wound up with the same knife he had stabbed her with. He takes a a metal file, you know, those files that you would use to take burrs off of steel. Yeah, yeah. Puts it in the fireplace, lets it heat up till it's glowing red hot, and then cauterizes, cauterizes the inside of the wound. And then to add insult to injury, not sure why he did this, pours boiling water inside. Just to kind of, I guess, I don't know what, why? Because boiling water isn't going to cauterize. No, any. it's just going to hurt. It's going to burn the area and make it worse. Yeah, they said that Giselle passed out from the pain on multiple occasions. Days later, the wound became infected. And Rock just spent two hours holding her down while he rubbed salt and olive oil in it. 
Like a salad? Rubbed salt, yeah, like made a dressing and rubbed it into her wound, yep. Eventually, though, somehow, Giselle's leg heals, and as soon as she recovers, she runs away and stays with her father for a few days. She does, though, eventually return. I don't know why. I'm just speculating here, but I I guess she missed watching him take shits in the fuck dungeon while she's forced to face fuck another woman's unwashed meat wallet covered in blood and jizz dumplings and dead bugs. I don't I don't know what she missed about being at this place, but she does return. It's definitely a problem in their in their heads. You ready to get into the nitty gritty of this? No. The, the the gross. So it's been pretty pretty G rated up until this point. Has it? But things are gonna get things are gonna <laughs> things are about to get silly. Okay, they're about to get really silly. On September 29th, nineteen eighty eight, one of Rock's wives, Solange Bullard. Who had by this by this point, by the way, become his primary wife, his bottom bitch, as pimps call him. She complained of a stomach ache. And a very drunk Rock Terrio just up and decides, out of the blue, like he often does, it's her liver. This guy has no medical training. He just says, You got a stomach ache? Liver. And takes yeah. it on himself to fix it. He decides you need surgery right now. He has Solange Boiler dragged to the kitchen table. He makes her strip naked. And then forces her to lay belly down on the kitchen table. Belly down. Belly down. Face down. On a painful stomach. On a, on a painful stomach, yes. Okay. Problems her liver, he decided. Yeah. But before he gets to work, he has to do the before uh, surgery stuff. He has the others hold her down. And he begins shoving two fingers into her anus over and over and over again with intentions of loosening it up. For what's about to come? How, how how is he going to how is he going to use that portal for liver surgery? This is just this is pre surgery prep. Oh yeah, yeah. This is, it's the eighties. No, he he. Now he's trying to loosen her asshole up for an enema, but all he had was a overly large, huge plastic tube. So he loosens it up with his two fingers, and then he starts shoving this huge plastic tube in and out, which causes poor Solange to defecate everywhere. Once he felt like this tube was into her body deep enough, he then tries to fill her up with a mixture of molasses, olive oil, and hot water. It's like he gets all his medical training from Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) That was, that was good. Doesn't this all sound like something Gwenda Paltrow would do? Well, you've got cancer. The thing is, first you need to buy my pussy candle, and then you need to shove your ass full of molasses, olive oil, and water. After he realizes this makeshift enema isn't working, he makes her roll over onto her back on the table that's covered in her shit. Remember, the problem he's decided is her liver. He then begins punching her in the stomach over and over again. So he's punching her in the stomach over and over again. Like I said, this is all pre-operation stuff um, that that he's doing. Only only Rock knows why this is happening. He then shoves the tube down her throat and makes all the members blow into it as hard as they can. What? Right? I don't think this is in any books. No. Anywhere, this medical procedure. After all of this... He lets everybody know that this is, like I said, the pre-op preparations. 
And my God, has medicine come a long way? Because now, nowadays, you know, you just, you get a shot. You've got to, the last time I, when was the last time you had an operation? Um, would have been, oh my, uh, my quintuple, quintuple, sir, quintuple hernias. In when you got your stomach replaced with Kevlar. Yeah. So I'm bulletproof now. Mine was on my leg after it got chewed up in the factory. Yes. And I mean, it's just so easy nowadays. You go in there, you get naked, uh, you put that little revealing dehumanizing robe on little, whatever that thing is, little apron where your asshole is showing out the back. Yeah. I mean, my ass, I mean, like when I'm just standing, like you can't see my asshole. I, I guess you're, you're a crack. Is showing, yeah. You I, you might want to get that looked at if when you're just standing. I think that's called prolapsed, and it's not not healthy. <laughs> Regardless, it's very dehumanizing. I'm glad that you're laying the whole time. Um, but you know, you get a shot. They shave wherever they're working on, and then you're rolled in, and they say countdown from ten. And I always try to fight it, but the next <laughs> thing I know, I'm waking up. Yep, every time. Just like first dates. And on that, <laughs> and on that operation, they gave me ketamine and I started naked, started trying, and they got security because I was trying to fight the doctors whenever I was coming out of it. And it was a big ruckus and my wife was very embarrassed and they had to get my wife to come in there because I was trying to fight them naked and she had to calm me down. I'd be like a black bear getting in a, uh, <laughs> op- I was just cornered, man. Room. I didn't know what was going on. I was scared. I was confused. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> I'm injured got one bad leg I'm, I was a cornered bear in a cave oh, <laughs> butthole showing um, <laughs> so they they pump her stomach full of air for some reason uh-huh. he, he then takes a razor and makes an incision along Solange's about five inches below her rib cage he shoves his hand inside her abdomen and begins grabbing things. She's she's conscious. He's rummaging around inside her stomach with his hand. He pulls out some of her intestines, cuts them off, and throws them in the trash, and then just tucks everything back in and has them sew her up. Oh, she's. He then said, she, "Quote, there, you're going to be all right." Unquote. Oh, she's going to die. She's going right. to die. That's. Oh and gosh. all of 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 Rock Terrio's medical training, apparently they never covered internal bleeding or things like your bowels just evacuating the shit into your stomach cavity. That's not good. No. Those things aren't good for your health. Your your intestines have to lead somewhere. Yeah, you can't just cut a chunk of them off and then stuff it back in there and expect things to just line back up. No, they end up. Um depositing whatever's going through them into your into your body cavity and that's yes never good so he tells her she's going to be all right and then like i said he has the other sew him up and he he then makes solange get off the table um many members that were there said that whenever she tried to stand up she had the rubber legs the way a boxer gets when he's just caught a good one in the chin you know they get those rubber legs yeah and the next morning he orders her to take a hot bath and then a cold bath and then a hot bath. But nothing made her feel better. What? And I wrote here, gasp. This is the part where you're supposed to say, full 
body. Chels. Chels. <laughs> Nothing made her feel better, Op. For some reason, just Weird. having her intestines shit into her stomach cavity was causing problems. She does eventually lay down, and not long after laying down, blood starts pouring out of her mouth and nose, and the next day, 32-year-old Solange Boylard dies. If you're keeping track, this is now the third person that Ro- that Rock Terrio has killed, the third follower of his. He He's costed a number of people their toes. He's been shitting in people's mouths or shitting all over people and pissing in the, in their mouths and beating them with a hammer and burning them. And, and this is the third murder, straight up murder. So she's dead. And Rock took this one about as hard as Rock Terrio could take a death. Uh, the only person that Rock Terrio really gives a fuck about is Rock Terrio, but she was, uh, particularly devoted to him. So he took this hit hard because. He lost a, a, a dedicated follower. Yeah, it's it's numbers. It's a numbers game. You gotta. You know. he, he then has Solange Boylard buried, but a week later, up Rock Terrio has a revelation. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. He's like, you know, I feel like we need to dig her back up. That's exactly what Rock says <laughs> because he's gonna resurrect her. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! He's gonna funnel his powers that he has from God. And he's going to resurrect Solange Boylard. So he orders Claude Ulay to dig her corpse up. And Claude Ulay later said that when the, the lid was taken off the coffin, Solange Boylard's corpse, its decomposing face, was frozen in a horrified expression and looked like it was screaming. Yeah. What Rock wanted to do was perform a series of sex magic rituals so that he could bring her back to life. He then made Gabriel cover the body in vinegar. So they bring it into the house. They put it on the kitchen table. Once again, they cover the body in vinegar. And then he has Gabriel cut her rotting corpse open at the stomach, remove the uterus and the kidneys, put them in jars. And then they sew her back up and bury her again so that the body can essentially marinate in the vinegar. This is all part of the, of resurrection. And once yeah. again, nobody knows what's going on but Rock Terrio. I believe they use the same method on Alien to preserve uh, species. So he's, he's he's on the right track. You were not watching the same Alien movie that I was. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Same one. Four days later, he orders Giselle to dig up Solange's now badly decomposed corpse... Once again, and once again, that corpse is spread out on the kitchen table. Rock then orders Jacques to drill a large hole in her skull. And the biggest drill bit they had, I guess, wasn't big enough for what he wanted to do. So they take a, a, a that hunting knife and they burrow out the hole in the skull. So that's probably about two inches wide all the way around. Huh? And uh, what do you think Rock does now? Op? What do you think the next step is in this resurrection? If you had to um, guess, knowing what we know, what do you think Rock does? Well, he's already used salt and vinegar. I feel like breadsticks. Breadsticks? Um, not breadsticks. It's a meat stick. Oh, close. It's a meat stick because... In front of everybody, while they watch, there's this badly bloated, 
decomposing corpse on the kitchen table with a, a hole in the head, in the skull now. The skin is falling off. It smells horrible. Rock pulls his huge cock out and starts jerking off into the hole in the skull over and over and starts blowing his loads on the rotting brain of the corpse. I feel like he's diverted from standard medical practices. Like, I feel like this isn't... uh, I had a doctor that did this to me for knee pain when I was seven, but it turned out he had broken into the place and he had no credentials uh, whatsoever. Yeah, (laughs) Gotta watch out for... Yeah, I feel like this probably skirts the Hippocratic Oath of it a bit. I don't think this is backed by by any med- medical textbooks whatsoever. None of this. Yeah, but no. he just turned that rotting brain into a glazed donut. Just soaked it in semen. It's not good. After he had felt he had gotten enough semen in the skull cavity, he had Solange's body buried again. But two days later, they dig it up. Again, they pull the now decomposing to a point where pieces are falling off corpse back to the kitchen table. And he then forces the men in the cult to also jerk off into the head hole. Wow. I don't know what else. I don't think you should have this much semen in your skull ever. I don't. This is too much semen. I'll say too much. Too yeah. much semen. I'm numb. I'm I'm not. I'm numb. I'm numb right now. I I thought maybe I was having like an embolism or or a hot heart attack, but I think it's full body chills. The topic, yeah, it's probably the topic. Now, once again, like I said, nobody knows why they're being forced, why they're doing all this. Aside from Rock, he did believe that the semen would bring her back to life, just jerking off on her brain. If you just got enough semen into her skull, yeah. It would bring her back to life, but it didn't. No, just weird. Did it's not bring not, her back not, to life. Not how it works at all. Bummed that his that his ritual didn't work. He orders Solange Bullard's remains to be burned, but not before having Claude remove one of her ribs as a memento. And then Rock busted that rib up and kept a piece of it in a leather pouch on a string around his neck and also made his followers wear some of her bones around their neck as amulets. And he wore that piece of bone around his neck until he was captured. <laughs> so I think it's for him, it's owning them. These people are his property as far as he is concerned, and he wanted to own a piece of her. He wanted a piece of her. That was his corpse. Yeah. No. On November 5th, 1988, Gabriel Lavallee, the one whose baby Rock had killed, complains of a sore tooth. Have these people not learned anything? Um, it, 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 Let me finish the sentence. Did he have a sore tooth and go to rock and say, Hey, this is Gabriel Lavely. This is the woman yeah. that had, oh, she, she Ga- complained Gabriel, directly okay. to rock about a sore tooth. I don't know if you should ever do that. I think Never. they've probably seen how it goes. Keep your illnesses to yourself. If I was in this commune, I could literally have a basketball sized goiter hanging off of my chin and be like, everything is great. I feel good. No problems. Um, definitely don't need any operations. I know liver feels good. Yeah. Um, what goiter? Also, it seems like she's got a tooth problem. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and predict that her tooth problem, he's going to start at the anus and try to 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> your tooth hurts. It's your ankle. We need to cut your ankle off. You need to break your own ankle. Rog takes out eight of Gabriel Lavallee's teeth with a pair of pliers, but up. He took them all out of her lower jaw, despite the fact that the problem was in the upper jaw. Yeah. See, he never asked her which tooth it was. You know what's funny is if you just took the medical procedures that this guy has done, it sounds a lot like how oafish and ham-fisted that Dr. Death guy was. Like, yeah. It wasn't too far off. No. Now, Rock wow. has a lot in common with Joseph Mendela. Yeah. Mengele? Mengele. Mengele. Yeah, Mengele. Mengele. Yeah, except for Mengele was actually, like, at least had hypotheses and... It, some of it was rooted in science, not all of it, but and I'm not I'm not approving of what Kinda Joseph Mengele did. Yeah, keep going. I'm excited <laughs> for where this is going. <laughs> no, I should. I'm going to rewind and just go. You're right. You only yeah. you usually only talk like this when the recording isn't going. So <laughs> no, never mind. I was just I was trying to make the point that. Mengele. I remember the other day I was talking about six million Jews being killed, and you were like, well. That number's probably exaggerated. That's what you kept saying. Just, you kept saying exaggerated. I was just going to say he was a medical monster, whereas Rock is like a just a monster monster with right. a pair of pliers. You love your Volkswagen, too. <laughs> Six million numbers. We don't know that for sure. That's what you kept saying. No. I don't know how many times I've heard you go, Mangala was really misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. Never said that. So he's yanked uh, out eight teeth of Gabriel Levely. Uh the wrong the wrong teeth, mind you. And that night Terrio gets shit faced once again and begins chasing Gabriel around the house with the same hunting knife that he had stabbed Solange with. When he catches her, he holds it to her stomach and she grabs it in self defense and in the struggle cuts the tendons to one of her fingers. Oh, she gets a deep cut in her hand and cuts a tendon. The next day, she runs away from the commune to a shelter in Peterborough. And on May 23rd, 1989, Gabriel Lavallee returns to the commune after running away and staying with her brother for five for a few days. But she returns. Yes, right? she she yeah. does return. Um, when she returns, though, she had went to a hospital and gotten a uh, a cast put on the hand that he had cut the tendon to. The second uh-huh. she shows back up, Rock breaks the cast off. He says, that's that's mumbo jumbo. Yeah. All that stuff. That's that's stupid. Yeah. It's your liver. That's the problem. She, she doesn't know. <laughs> he didn't. Say, but but he does break her cast off. He says that that's that's mumbo jumbo. That's that's bullshit. And in July of 1989, Gabriel complains to Rock that the finger that he had cut was stiff. So we still haven't learned anything. No. When she complains to him, he orders her to show it to him. And you need to keep in mind that Rock is still mad at her about her momentary runaway. So she lays yeah. her hand out on the table. And in a, in a millisecond, he buries a hunting knife into the top of it and pins it to the tabletop. Ugh. This wound eventually gets infected and becomes gangrenous. And on July 26, 1989, Rock decides... It's time to do another home surgery and cut off Gabriel's hand because of the gangrene. It got to that point. He makes the other members hold her down on the table 
and he amputates her arm at the elbow with a dull kitchen knife. Naturally. Halfway through, though, he gets tired because he's too drunk to finish, hands the knife to Chantelle Labrie, and lets her complete the job. Gabriel is then left laying in the floor, crying and screaming, and the next morning, Chantelle Labrie sews the stump up. Yep. Now, Sounds after this, right. Gabriel has had enough. This is it. This is... The fu- this is the straw that broke the camel's back. How dare him cut my arm off with a dull kitchen knife? I'll let him murder my child. I'll let him ma- ma- rub shit on me and pluck out my hairs and hit me with a hammer and shoot at me and piss in my mouth and make strangers eat my shitty asshole and all this other stuff. But you don't cut off my arm. This is where she draws the line. This well, is not it. anymore. It's hard to draw a line without an arm. Yeah, because she was right handed. She draws a very squiggly line. Yikes. Very crooked line. I can't even throw a spiral anymore. A perfect spiral. <laughs> Not that they had footballs there. It's there. It's I think it's football. They, they, he, he had a he had a woman st- sew up the stump. Yes, yes. He he made Chantal Labrie sew the stump up. Okay, so he doesn't. Do, yeah, so he doesn't do his own cleanup. He's he's kind of above that. No, he's the he's the main guy. He's the med the main medical doctor. What what do you, the surgeon? The surgeons yeah, don't ever surgeon. sew it up, do they? I don't know. I've never no. been conscious during one of my operations, but I assume one of the underlings, one of the the worker bees, does the sewing up. Yeah. Yep. On July twenty seventh, nineteen eighty nine. So the next day, after cutting her arm off, after they cut her arm off, the whole cult. With the exception of Gabriel, who had just had her arm cut off, they leave the commune and go to eat at a restaurant in Newmarket, which is north of Toronto. Gabriel uses this opportunity while they're all gone to once again run away, this time one less limb. And she hitchhikes with her left hand to a motel where the police are called. She shows up at a motel and the police are like, hey, where'd that arm go? But the police take her to a shelter op, not a hospital. A shelter. Oh, wait. What? And guess what? It doesn't help. The next day, cult member Jacques Gaguerre, who is the father of the first baby that that Rock killed, uh, shows up at that shelter where she's trying to stay and brings her back to the commune. Yeah. It is now August 14th, 1989, two weeks after the amputation, and Gabriel's arm is still sporadically sporadically bleeding and not healing well. Rock Terrio gets drunk once again and decides it needs to be cauterized. He orders the other members to tie Gabriel up. They tie her ankles together, and then they tie her one remaining wrist to those ankles so she's bent over. She's hogtied. Mm. Rock then heats up a busted drive shaft from an old truck with a blowtorch until it's glowing red hot. But he's super drunk and he's holding this drive shaft with pliers. And throughout the procedure of trying to cauterize this stump, he keeps accidentally dropping it onto her legs and roll and letting it roll down her back. Oh, God. Uh. On August 16th, 1989, two days after he cauterizes the wound, Gabriel Lavely escapes again and goes back to the shelter that Jacques had came and drug her from. This time, however, the people at the shelter, because she is now also covered in burns, she is taken to a hospital where the police show up to ask questions about her injuries. Now, she does try to make up excuses for having a missing arm, a recently missing arm, by the way, but the police weren't buying it. She's like, you know, I walked into a door, but <laughs> fell down the stairs. 
fell down the stairs. The police aren't buying it. Now, the sudden impending investigation made many followers leave out of fear. They know it's over. They know it's coming to an end. And this is when the anthill kids start crumbling because most of rock followers flee the commune after this. On August 23rd, 1989, one week after Gabriel made her final escape, the police do show up at the commune with helicopters, cars, and dogs only to find it deserted. What? Rock and three of his wives had hopped in his van and ran. All the other... So it's just Rock and three of his wives now. All the other members fled the commune, went back to their families, and really did this time, No, all jokes aside, go on to leave long lives, try to recover from the trauma that they, that they experienced at the hands of Rock Terrio. And many of them did documentaries and shit later. Many of them also are now atheists. Are they? Yes. Oh, what? <laughs> but for now, Op, it's Rock and three of his wives that have made an escape in his van. And on Wednesday, September 20th, 1989, police find Rock Terrio's missing white 1980 Dodge van 1.8 miles from the commune parked off the side of the road in a thick wooded area. Turns out, They hadn't fled the country. They hadn't even fled the region. They hadn't even fled the county. They had just hit the woods. And that's where Rock and his three remaining wives live for the remain, for the next six weeks while evading police who were searching for them on, on foot and with helicopters and dogs. Yeah. It doesn't sound like anyone in this area really does their job. Like. Uh, six weeks with dogs to find some people that were a mile away. 1.8 miles from the commune yeah. is where they were staying. I'm going to say they, they were busy. They were in a thicket uh-huh. and briars hurt. Yeah. The bar, the dogs are barking at like a 20 foot piece of brush and the cops are like, ah, God damn it. I Ow. get in there. Keep getting the stickies. Those, what are those <laughs> things? I always hated those things when I was a kid. They'd always end up on your socks and they would end up on oh, yeah. for every time. What is that sticky? Those little balls that have the little, they look like a COVID virus cell. Yeah. Like the burr, the burrs. And they always end up on top of your ankle in your sock so that every yeah. time your shoe bends, it just pushes into your ankle every single time. Cops you know, hated that, those things. That was the inspiration. That plant was actually the inspiration for the guy that invented Velcro. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. He used, he zoomed in, saw the little hook process of how it does it and just replicated it. Cool. Yeah. That was actually a genuinely interesting fact that you brought for the first time in TCK history. <laughs> That's not true. Oh. And when those socks get those stickies on them, you got to mm-hmm. fucking throw them away. Yeah. You can't. You can't. <laughs> Game over. Same with the dog. If your dog gets them, throw them away. Yep. Can't, can't do anything. But those socks are done. Even if you try to wash them, they always just poke you. It's always like there's a little fucking guy living in your shoe with a little bitty needle. And he just sporadically while you're walking, just tick, just pokes you with with a little bit of a needle. Just a little bit. Not yeah. like just enough to make it uncomfortable. It's just enough. On Friday, October 6, 1989. Rock Terrio and his three wives are finally captured and drug out of a thicket like Saddam Hussein being dragged out of that hole out in the middle of the desert. You ever seen that video? Yeah. They're hitting him with shoes. and yeah. <laughs> That's basically how Rock Terrio was dragged out of this thicket. 
On October 20th, 1989, 14 days later, two weeks, what is left of Solange Bollard's skeleton is discovered on the property of the commune by police. Rock is charged with the second-degree murder of Solange. He pleads guilty to the murder as well as aggravated assault for cutting off Gabriel's arm with a dull kitchen knife. And he's sentenced to 12 years in prison. But after his appeal in 1993, four years later, his sentence has changed to life in prison without parole. He only got 12 years? Initially. In 1993, he was resentenced to life in prison. Uh, I don't understand how you would, how you would do everything that he did. And only get he murdered a two years. year old and only got two years the first time. What do you mean? Well, I, I he guess was so lockable up. Canadian law. Yeah. This poor oh. man is just trying to practice medicine. And I, I don't, maybe you didn't hear me when I said he didn't want to do any of this stuff. Yeah, it's true. The whole time Rock was in prison. Let me say that again. The entire time Rock was in prison, he died in 2011. The entire time Rock was in prison, three of his wives, Francine Laflamme, Chantal Labrie, and Nicole Ruel, moved to New Brunswick, where he was being in prison, so they could stay close to Rock. And between the three of them, they gave birth to four more children while he was in prison that had all been conceived during conjugal visits. Yeah. The good news here though, is that all those children were very quickly taken by CPS after they were born. You know, what I would suggest is maybe prevent that process by not giving uh, conjugal visits to this wackadoo. Yeah, one would think. Yeah. This story finally comes to an end up on February 26, 2011, when Rock Terrio, this giant piece of shit, is stabbed to death by his cellmate, Matthew Gerard McDonald at Dorchester Penitentiary. Uh, Rock is 63 years old when he's killed. And much the way Siamese twins pass away, his penis was declared dead two days later on February 28th. <laughs> I wonder why he was stabbed to death. I wonder what, what caused that. I think it was kind of notoriety. Yeah. This Matthew McDonald. It's the same reason I think that dude killed Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. Rock was a, a legend in prison. Yeah. He had all these women just cycling in and out to fuck him. He was getting laid more in prison with different women than most of these men in prison had been laid their whole life. Yeah. I don't understand it. He's uh he's murdered three people, so he's a murderer, he's a convicted murderer. And uh he he was I mean, in terms of prison, he lived like a king up until he was murdered in this this Matthew Gerard McDonald, I think, did it for, for notoriety. But Rock was 63 years old when he was finally stabbed to death. He didn't, I, I don't, I, I hate that he didn't get to look death in the eyes. This isn't a happy Maybe ending. He did. Maybe he did. I mean, you got stabbed to death. Wonder yeah, but he, he was, was in horrified. his sleep. By the time he realized what was going on, he was already dead. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would have, I, I like the death of people like this to be slow and drawn out. I want them to know that it's coming and there's nothing they can do about it. I want him to feel powerless. I want him to feel, to feel his life in control of somebody else. I wonder if, I wonder if he started just going down the list of things that he had done to other people and those were applied to him, whether he would feel like that was inhuman. Absolutely. He would. How could you do this to me? Yeah. And they're like, well, God told me to. And he's like, that's bullshit. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, you got me. 
All right. Got me there. Poop in my mouth. <laughs> I don't know how to walk this one off. I don't ever want to call you again about us, about going, talking about cases. I will. That's all I've got. Op. That's the end. Three part series on the Anhill Kids. And the next episode. This was a build-up to who we're getting ready to cover um, on the next episode because it is by far the next episode is going to, uh, like by leaps and bounds, going to be the worst thing that we have ever covered and likely will ever cover. It is the pinnacle of human depravity. It is the pinnacle of, of uh, I, don't, I don't think evil is a real thing, but if it exists, this man was certainly that. And we're going to cover it on the next episode. Yay. Yay. Just kidding. All right. Bye. I love you. What? What?